What's going on? Welcome to the show. Tuesday, April 14th. And uh, not really sure if uh, uh, it's COVID-19 or if it's allergies. I I mean, I don't have any of the symptoms that uh, COVID-19 has, uh, but uh, I I do have like a runny nose and sniffles and stuff and and like a lot of like, you know, clearing my throat and stuff. But it could be COVID-19. I mean, and I... I mean, who knows? I could have had it, you know, back in like November or something. Like, cause I think I've, I felt kind of sick at one point right around Thanksgiving. And so it might have, okay. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us and, uh, making us part of your day. I do appreciate it. You can subscribe to the program on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can also get the latest show at thepetecalendarshow.com. There are links there as well to, uh, all of the uh, to the marketplace to all of the advertisers that support the program and please uh, help the advertisers that uh, help keep this show going and uh, you can also join the Facebook group you can also become a, a patron uh, where you get access uh, to live streams and we've got some special merchandise coming online soon and uh, you get the bumper stickers as well so all sorts of uh, really valuable uh you know, compensation basically for being a a donor to the program. It's sort of an NPR model, but you know, I did work for an NPR affiliate a uh, long time ago, so I've just kind of taken the best elements of public radio and commercial radio and put them together uh, on the digital platform. So uh, the show is made possible by patrons, by donors. Okay, um, Keith and Kim, Kristen, Lori. Kim again, and Les, and Lisa, LLP, Lori, I appreciate all of your support. Uh, Like I said, it allows the show to continue. It also is uh, made possible by advertisers like Mattress Man, for example. Mattress Man, they have four local stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville, uh, but they do ship nationwide. So if you are not in uh, Asheville or the area, uh, they do ship nationwide. Now, one of the benefits of being, uh, in the local area, uh, aside from the, you know, the, the obvious, you know, the beauty of the mountains here, but, uh, also is that you get the free local white glove delivery from mattress man stores. Okay. You get free local white glove delivery. And if you enter in their website, mattressmanstores.com, when you're shopping for a mattress, if you enter, the discount code RESTWELL, all one word, RESTWELL, R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L, you get an additional 20% savings off site-wide. This has, uh, their website now has all of their inventory in stock, so it's there. Uh, they have a 120-day comfort guarantee, so it ensures that you're going to love your mattress, okay? Uh, they redid their entire website, recognizing that, um, You know, a lot of people are now going to be uh, shopping from home. And if you don't have a comfortable bed and you're spending a lot of time in it these days, uh, you're probably acutely aware of the need to replace it. So uh, get on over to mattressmanstores.com. They have inner spring mattresses. They have pillow top mattresses. Uh, my wife and I, we have the memory foam we bought from them years ago. We love the, uh, it's a king size, the biggest bed, softest bed we've ever owned, nicest bed we've ever owned. Uh, and it came from Mattress Man long before they were an advertiser uh, for the program. Uh, they also have the adjustable bases which helps for snoring, um, helps prevent snoring if you raise the head up. Uh, If you raise your feet up, it helps with circulation. So win-win, right? Uh, Let the sleep consultants at Mattress Man help you find the right bed. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. 
buy local, and sleep better. Alrighty, so two weeks ago, John Hood at uh, the John Locke Foundation wrote a piece called Shelter in Place Isn't Sustainable, right? And I, I think I mentioned this at one point, but never went into the details of what he was arguing. And I said at the time, this is a real test for our political and media class. This is a piece that he wrote dated March 30th. And I asked at the time, can they examine this debate on the merits? Is it possible that our political and media class that fancy themselves to be a little bit more learned, a little bit more elite, and to be fair, there is some expertise that they develop by being policy wonks and, you know, in the weeds on all of these issues. You, you, you do learn a lot when you're trying to legislate and you're reporting on things. You do learn more than sort of the average person. Um, I've said this before. If I was not paid to be a reporter, there is no way I would know all of the things about all of the issues that I do. It's not because I'm super smart. It's just because that's what I've spent my days doing for the last 20 something years. Right. Going and interviewing people. Researching issues that pop up every single day and then you move on to the next and you're constantly you're, you're constantly learning. It's like school. Really, it is. It's like going to school all all the time. And um, it, by the way, yes, it, you can get burned out on it. No doubt about it. The, the, so the issue, though, is that when you when you examine stuff like this all the time, you kind of. Uh, you can be inclined to believe the hype that you know everything. <laughs> uh, it is very easy to get sucked into that uh, vortex there, I'm telling you, because uh, you got to have people around you in your real life that basically tell you you don't know what you're talking about. You have to, <laughs> you've got to have people around you that are willing to tell you that. Because, like, seriously, I. I will be on, well, now I guess I can't even say, like, I'll be at someone's house or we'll be hanging out talking. I can't do that. So we'll be on a Zoom chat or we're in a Google Hangout and people will ask me my opinion about things and they'll say, hey, did you hear about this? Whatever, whatever. And because most folks, they don't they don't spend their days researching all of these things. And so they ask me, hey, do you know anything about this topic? And first off, yes, I probably do. Secondly, I, I can tell you some more information about it, but I I'm not an expert on it. So I understand why there is some uh, uh, sort of, I don't know, predisposition that a lot of media and political folks would have uh, to think that they are, you know, well suited to have these types of arguments and these types of debates and examining these types of issues. But I honestly am not very confident in their ability at all. I'm, I'm really not, particularly the media, particularly the media. Because they're not actually in any kind of a position of responsibility when it comes to setting policy, right? Now, they say, well, we have this other responsibility to keep the public informed. Yeah, I understand. But if you're not selling advertising, you know, and you're not getting eyeballs, subscriptions and stuff, then then you're not doing any of that. So, right, and there's a there's... The embedded point there, obviously, is that there are uh, certain pressures that uh, journalists and uh, publications have in trying to promote a certain line or, uh, you know, sensationalism, that kind of thing. And a story that is juicy or what did the New York Times executive publisher guy, what is his name, uh, Backhead, he's talking about the Joe, why they didn't report on the Joe Biden allegations of uh, sexual assault for like three weeks. 
Was it a hot story? The Kavanaugh story was a hot story, he said. But the Biden one, not so much. I, I, I have that. I don't know if I'm going to get to it today, but I've got the story from the New York Times. It really is amazing. Um, maybe I'll do it separately and throw it up on the uh, Patreon account for those folks. Maybe I'll do that. Um, so, yeah, so this is what John Hood, to get back to the point here, over the past two weeks, John Hood wrote back in March... Over the past two weeks, Governor Roy Cooper and local officials have imposed a regulatory regime of increasing severity on North Carolinians. Their stated goal is to slow the spread of COVID-19 so the number of cases requiring hospitalization won't shoot far above the maximum capacity of hospitals and health providers. And everybody, I think, has been on board with this. We're all on the same page, right? Like you flatten the curve in order to spread out the impact. Right? You're not shortening the curve. In fact, you're lengthening the curve. Their goal is not to contain the spread of the virus in the long run. Most officials grant that a large swath of the population already has been or eventually will be infected. In the vast majority of cases, the infected will experience either mild symptoms or none at all. But some will be hospitalized and a small share, disproportionately older and suffering from serious pre-existing conditions, will not survive their bout with the virus. Did Cooper and local officials make the right call? Hood says, I don't know for certain, and neither do you, to be blunt. They're acting on limited, incomplete, and problematic data. I recognize they are under extreme stress, like sleep depri- uh, likely sleep-deprived and uh, facing a set of unattractive policy choices. See, now, if they were sleeping on a mattress for a mattress, man, they would probably not be sleep deprived. Okay. I don't envy the position they're in, he says. I respect their public service and pray for them. And you should, too. But that doesn't mean we should simply accept their decisions without scrutiny or complaint. He goes on to say that the government hasn't just shut down businesses, and a lot of them for good. Um thrown hundreds of thousands out of work and disrupted the daily lives of millions of North Carolinians with no clearly articulated standard for when the dictates will be lifted. Our government has also suspended our basic liberties as citizens of a free society. And he says, I'm not arguing um, that government uh, should never have the power to do these things. He says, that's the wrong conclusion. Infectious disease is actually one of the few cases where you can use highly coercive actions in order to protect public health and safety. He says the threshold, though, for government to resort to such measures should be extremely high. And I get very suspicious when I see public officials justify actions like shelter in place orders with the claim that, you know, if a single person's life is saved, it'll be worth it. And he says anybody who says that should be kept far away from wielding any kind of government power because they lack the knowledge and judgment to make reasonable public policy. They are exhibiting a basic ignorance of how free societies work. Right. This standard of if it saves a single life is not a standard any that, that we that, that should ever, ever be used in uh, in policy discussions. Be- for and the example he gives, uh, let me see here is. Yes, yeah, swimming pools If North Carolina prohibited swimming pools, we would see fewer drownings. Right. Well, if it saves one life. True. No more automatic garage doors. Right. If it saves one life, no more driving. Or if you do drive, how about you got to gear up with the full helmet? you know, and like the harnesses and everything like that, like a race car driver, right? If you wanted to, if it saves one life, we make these types of trade-offs all the time. Is the juice worth the squeeze? As I usually say, right? It comes down to fundamental risk assessment. What what are you willing to risk? And what's the trade-off of 
you know, enacting these types of rules versus the downside. The draconian response, he says, to COVID-19 has imposed grave economic and social consequences uh, on North Carolinians and other Americans, and they won't shelter in place for months. They can't, and they'll become increasingly impatient with leaders who offer them platitudes instead of a practical plan for moving forward. I said at the beginning, before I read this piece, that were the highlights of this piece, I said, this is a real test for our political and media class. Can they examine this debate on the merits? The response from Rob Schofield, he is the director of NC Policy Watch. This is a leftist umbrella group, you know, for the uh, radical agitation in North Carolina politics, the blueprint NC folks, right? Uh, Here is the headline, his response to John Hood. The local right dishes up more distinctly unhelpful talk about the public health crisis. It's the sacred right of all Americans to complain about their government, he says, even if they do so in destructive and nonsensical ways. Does it, was there anything in this piece that I just read that was destructive or nonsensical? Now, granted, I didn't read the entire piece, so maybe there were destructive and nonsensical things that I omitted here just to make my point. Well, you'll have to go read it. It's all at the Pete page, by the way, on Patreon. Um, He says responsible North Carolinians should push back once again this week in response to the latest nonsense emanating from conservative critics regarding the recent pandemic safety actions taken by elected leaders, including Governor Cooper. So what you've got here is, you know, must protect the precious. Right. I mean, that's that's obviously one of the things that's happening here is he's a leftist and he's trying to protect Cooper because it's an election season. They want Cooper to win re-election. They want Democrats to win the state general assembly uh, and in the Congress and the U S Senate, right? They want Democrats elected. And so Cooper must be seen. He must be portrayed and depicted by all of his allies in the media as being a strong leader, which probably is why every single person that gets up at his press conferences, all of his cabinet members, before they make their comments, they always have to thank him for his strong leadership. Quite the Trumpian uh, praise, right, that has to be uh, uh, launched in his direction before they can utter any words. Just want to thank the governor for his strong leadership. It's almost like there's a talking point that's gone out. Call Cooper strong. Strong, bold, decisive leadership. The nonsense, says Schofield, the nonsense in question is exemplified in a meandering column that a local conservative commentator, he won't even name John Hood. I mean, that's how petty Rob Schofield is, apparently, that uh, he won't even name John Hood. He, he links it up, but he won't name Hood. Um, a local conservative commentator posted, by the way, he's more than just a local conservative commentator. John Hood is more than just a local conservative commentator, Right. Guy's been like the president of the John Locke Foundation. He appears all the time on that NC Spin show, which is broadcast all over the state on public television. Uh, He does interviews all over the state. He writes columns all over the state. So I'd say he's more than just a local conservative commentator. But this is the way that Schofield dismisses uh, the messenger. Oh, look at this person. He's just a local. It's like what they do to Pat McCrory, who does that radio show in Charlotte. They call him a, oh, he's just like a local radio guy now. That's why I would always say when I was doing my show, what do I know? You know, I'm just a little old radio host. It's the way they dismiss people who have opinions 
that are uncomfortable or run contrary to uh, to what uh, their agenda uh, demands. And so he says uh, this conservative commentator uh, posted online yesterday, in which he directed barbs at Governor Cooper and public health officials for not immediately presenting a plan detailing precisely how long the state's shelter-in-place directive would remain in effect and publicly acknowledging that economic imperatives will require it to be abandoned in the relatively near future. Uh, okay, nothing in... Nothing in Hood's article demanded, uh, what is this, uh, precisely detailed plans, um, right? Does it, 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 he's makes no such demand. It's a dis, so it's a dishonest framing of what Hood said, because what Schofield knows is that nobody's going to go and read Hood's column, right? According to the commentator, once again, so he can't even say John Hood. According to the commentator, Americans can't and won't shelter in place for months because of the, quote, grave economic and social consequences such a scenario would produce and won't long abide leaders who offer platitudes in support of such directives. The commentator even sets up a straw man argument that he attributed to unidentified public officials and by implication progressives. By the way, he uses scare quotes all over the place and progressives is one of the ones he one of the words he quotes um, who are supposedly basing shelter-in-place directives on the premise that if a single person's life is saved, it will be worth it. By the way, this is, that, that, was, the, uh, that was the argument being advanced by progressives. I encountered it myself when arguing with progressives on social media uh, in North Carolina politics about this very uh, issue, which is the complete clampdown, which North Carolina was one of the first states to go full lockdown as we did, right? Cooper would send out the signal, Hey, I'm waiting to see, are the ca- any big counties going to, you know, close schools? And then as soon as, like, Wake County or Mecklenburg shut down their schools, then Cooper was like, okay, everybody shut down the schools. Hey, anybody in the county level going to be doing anything more restrictive? And then all of a sudden, Buncombe County does its restrictive order along with Wake and uh, uh, Forsyth, I think, also did it, uh, and Mecklenburg County. And so when the county started doing some more, uh, you know, more draconian lockdowns, more... Uh, you know, more restaurants closing and they started limiting all of this stuff, uh, then then along comes the state to issue its orders. Even right now, the state has less stringent orders in place than the counties. And that's, I think that's that's appropriate because you have a lot of counties that are rural and by definition are physically distancing themselves already. Right? <laughs> we, people in rural areas, you know, they've been ahead of the curve on uh, this social distancing thing for a long time. So I get it um, that he's trying to protect Cooper from these from these uh, attacks. And and let's be clear, these are not really powerful attacks at this stage. And even back in March. But the problem was that there were people who were looking at the models and there were people that were looking at the numbers and the data that was coming in. And they were like, wait a minute, you just shut everything down. Uh, March 30th, I think, was when we had our first uh, experience with the uh, with the unemployment numbers being so high and the record breaking unemployment claims. And people like me were rightfully, I think, pointing out this is the path to civilizational collapse. You cannot shut off an entire economy without people eventually either starving to death or uh, engaging in revolution. Like that, th- those are the options as I see them happening at some point. I don't know how long you do this. Tell people they can't feed their families. Cause that's what you're saying. Like a $1,200 check is not going to get that done. 
It's not. I appreciate the, the relief effort, but you've just tacked on now $2 trillion in spending. These small businesses are going out of business. They're not going to last much longer. And nobody seems to be able to understand or at least articulate this balance that they're trying to strike, at least and especially back in late March. This discussion wasn't being had at all. So that was so that's where we came from. And I do appreciate that there does seem to be some discussion about this now. Um, the basic implied message of the column, says Schofield, is that we're all going to have to suck it up very soon and accept the fact that lots of people are going to die in order for the economy to get back on its feet. Right. So so on the one hand, like he literally just says that. Oh, the hood is telling everybody that, oh, if a single person's life is saved, it'll be worth it. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, what he's saying is like, we're just going to have to accept that people are going to die here in order for the economy to get back on its feet. And they're, what they're pitching there is this false framing of the argument that it is lives versus money. When it's not, it's lives versus lives. All of these are bad decisions, buddy. All of them. It's a freaking plague. And it's, it's not going to get any better for the foreseeable future. And so what is the best way to save the most amount of people? To do the least amount of harm? So what, we're just supposed to show? Maybe this works for him. Sheltering in place, he can stay in his, uh, in his house in the Wake County area and Raleigh area, right? And Rob Schofield can just sit there and collect all of the sweet, sweet progressive donor money while writing out blog posts every day. And maybe that's a sustainable job for him. But at some point, you know what? Your food runs out, idiot. So he says, it's time to pipe down with these missives. It's both A, understandable, that people are impatient, frustrated, and frightened in the current unprecedented situation. And B, it's good for everybody to remain eternally vigilant in standing up for all civil liberties during the times of crises, but the fact remains that science must be our chief guide in escaping the current emergency. No. No. You should not be solely relying on the health experts. I do rely on them to project the models, tell us what, you know, how bad is this? What do we think the the time frame is? All of that, absolutely, you take it under advisement. But if you listen to only the health experts, only the scientists, if you only listen to them, like, they'll say shut everything down. Because because they're not economists, they're, right? The, the best way, I, I got a, a, a tweet the other day from uh, a listener who said, you know, who is it that... Uh, or, or, who, uh, why is it that we have to uh, lock everything down to stop the spread of this virus? Like, who says that this kind of authoritarian reaction is the way to uh, to to beat a pandemic? And honestly, that is the way. Like, if you want, like, if you want to stop a a plague from infecting everybody, lock everybody in individual cells and don't let them have contact with each other until whoever has the plague dies of it, and then it's all gone, right? So, like, on on one. On one level, yes, that is how you that, that is how you can kill off a bug like this. But but at what expense? At what cost? You're going to what isolate everybody for 3 months in their own jail cells basically? Well, actually we can't keep them in the jail cells anymore. Cooper's releasing some folks from jail too. Um so 
To prevent truly calamitous loss of life, he says, we must pull together and summon the patience and creativity to ride this out and allow our leaders, like Governor Cooper, the leeway to adapt as circumstances dictate. Oh, I'm sure that Rob Schofield and his band of leftist miscreants, I'm sure they would be completely on board with, uh, with allowing a Republican governor all sorts of leeway necessary to adapt as circumstances dictate. And then he says this, as economist Josh Bivens argued persuasively in a column entitled With Smart Policy, a temporary collapse in GDP doesn't have to cause great human suffering. The conservative economic cure of ending social distancing as soon as possible has the real potential to do even greater and longer lasting economic damage. Okay, first off, nobody is arguing for a complete lifting of all social distancing restrictions. Okay, um... He says having tens of millions of sick workers isn't a recipe for real economic recovery. A better approach is to rely upon and greatly strengthen the social safety net, i.e. wealth transfers and temporary debt-financed income supports to keep consumer demand at reasonable levels for the next few months with such an approach. Uh, a very quick economic bounce back is quite possible. The bottom line, it's going to be a tough slog, uh, but Americans can and must be disciplined, hang together, and resist the right's seductive but misguided siren song. Our lives and collective well-being depend on So what's his solution? <laughs> Socialism, right? <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's always the same answer with these folks. <laughs> uh, wow, things aren't going well. Well, what do we need? Socialism. Wow, things are going really well. What do we need? Socialism. <laughs> it's always the same answer. Like if you're looking for military surplus, it's always the same answer. Old grouches, military surplus, exactly. Old grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. They're actually closed. The business, the shop itself, the physical presence is closed, but they are open online. Doing lots of business online at oldgrouch.com. Oldgrouch.com. Old grouches, military surplus. It's an old school Traditional store, but it's got a mix of modern and vintage items. Lots of stuff for your preparedness needs. A lot of stuff like military hats and branches uh, of all the services. Uh, for example, you never know what you're going to get there, actually, because Tim's got different stuff coming in all the time. He's always interested in your vintage and unique items as well. Um, he's also available for advice if you need some help on uh, picking the right kind of um preparedness items and approaches and tactics and such send him a text he's given me his number to give to you for text messages only 565-2497 that's 565-2497 you can use it to make an order you can ask about an item that you see on his website uh, or if you just need some advice also ems and law enforcement professionals if you're looking for uniforms um, then uh, he can help you with those make an appointment with them via text 565-2497 old grouch dot com there is a new group reopen nc is its name <clears throat> it's a group with a fast-growing social media presence and it is lambasting governor roy cooper's response to the coronavirus pandemic and demanding that restrictions be removed so businesses can open their doors again so here we are now it's two weeks after the john hood column that i just brought to you and what did john hood say people are not going to do this right long term they can't it's not a matter of simple impatience and i get that that is one a component of it absolutely but it's not simply one of impatience 
there's there's more to it there are there are people that don't have any income they right they're going to food pantries by the way governor cooper was asked about uh this very question uh, asked about this very thing about reopening the state and um it seems like Rob Schofield may owe John Hood an apology because this is what Governor Cooper said yesterday at his press conference. We know that businesses in North Carolina and across the world have faced a major economic blow because of this virus, and that we know that a lot of workers have had hours reduced or have even been fired from a job as a result of this virus. It's one of the reasons why I signed an executive order expanding unemployment insurance benefits and push Congress to pass the CARES Act, which will provide some benefit to individuals and to small businesses. And our North Carolina legislature soon will be coming forward with a package to help as well. We know that staying at home is not sustainable in the long run. What? 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 what, what? Hang on a second. Staying at home in the long run is not sustainable, and the governor knows this? Somebody alert Rob Schofield. The evidence is overwhelming that right now, staying at home saves lives. This order extends through the month of April, We need people the next two weeks to really put the foot on the gas and to stay at home as much as possible here uh, in order for us to slow the spread of the virus. We know this virus is going to be with us until there is a vaccination. So it's gonna be there for a long time. And uh, when these particular restrictions come off, there, there will have to be Uh, continuing social distancing and uh, people being careful about transmitting the virus. But we know that North Carolina's economy uh, needs to be jump-started, and we know that uh, we have people planning right now about how we do that, working with health experts as to what restrictions that we can ease uh, that would still protect people but help us start our economy. We're talking to people in the business community about how we do that. And so we are working on that now. Our order extends through through April. And the better we can do right now in these two weeks, the more we can stay at home, the more we can flatten this curve, the more we would be able to ease restrictions going into the month of May. So what is it? It sounds like what the governor is saying there is that whatever happens between now and the end of April is going to determine which restrictions get lifted. That's what I got from it, right? I'm not so sure. I, like I'm not I mean, granted if it, I mean if we start seeing a massive spike in cases and people are, you know, getting sick all over the place, I think yes, then you're going to keep restrictions in place. But but let's assume that everything just kind of continues on as it is right now. Then what? We're, you're going to start lifting all of them, or you just lift a couple? Which ones do you lift? You got to keep the social distancing in place. So, what does that mean? I don't know. I think, I think the fact that he was asked this question, 
and had a response ready for it, I think proves that John Hood was correct two weeks ago. People are not going to live under these kinds of restrictions long term. Up in Virginia, the governor up there put all of these things in place through mid-June. Good luck with that. Although he did just pass new restrictions on gun ownership, so maybe the two are related. Um, Governor Cooper was asked then specifically what has to happen for these restrictions to get lifted. So right now our team is looking at statistics. We're looking at uh, the number of deaths and how frequently they are occurring a lot of families are suffering because they've, they've lost loved ones, and we've had a lot of people uh, go through very difficult times fighting off this illness. We're looking at the number of new cases that are coming about, and we're looking at the trends of hospitalizations and the availability of hospital beds. We're looking at all of those things, and, and obviously we want a leveling off to the point of feeling comfortable about easing some of the restrictions. And we know that we will have to put in place new executive orders at the end of the month because the ones that are there run out. That's why I'm encouraging people to work very hard during these next couple of weeks to help us flatten this curve and to get these numbers where we want them to get. And we're going to work, and we already are working, with the business community, people who work in restaurants and bars, uh, our public schools, people who are getting ready to go to summer camp. We're talking to all of those businesses about where they are, what their capacities are. Would it help you if we uh, eased up on a rule a particular way, and could you still keep a safe business and not transfer the virus but be able to operate and to earn a profit. Those are the kinds of discussions that are going on right now and we're hoping that these next two weeks are good so that we can have some positive results on the kinds of changes that we would make in the in the current restrictions. Uh, but as, as some people want uh, us to completely obliterate these restrictions, it would be a catastrophe. The numbers are very clear that these interventions that we've entered, the limits on social gatherings, uh, school being out, limitations on bars and restaurants, those kinds of things, the stay-at-home order, those kinds of things are working. But we're going to take all of this evidence over the next couple of weeks and get all of this input from public health experts and businesses to make determinations of the kinds of things we need to do going into May. He just got through saying at the beginning uh, in his first comments there that until there's a vaccine, right, there isn't any cure for this. And so the social distancing has to stay in place. So you're going to be looking at the next two weeks of, of data and let's assume it all levels off. As soon as you lift any of the restrictions, any of them, as soon as you start lifting any of them, you're going to see the infection numbers go back up because there isn't a cure. And this thing is so contagious, right? So I think people need to recognize that the curve may be flattened, but we're making it longer. There's no evidence. I shouldn't say that. There's no proof, let's say. 
It is not proven that this virus is going to go away in the summertime. It's assumed it will, but there's no, there's no proof that it will. And even if it does, the expectation is, is that it will be returning in full. So the curve may be flattening, which, by the way, is also affecting you got hospitals now that are firing and furloughing staff because they don't have enough patients coming in. So the, the flattening of the curve has worked very, very well, apparently, right? And, and recognizing these, these events as they unfold, seeing the evidence as it unfolds on the ground here in our, in, in our, you know, on our streets, in our society, and then pointing these things out, it does not mean that we want people to die. That's not the point here. We're all trying to figure out the best way forward for the greatest amount of people and the greatest amount of good. I'm not ascribing nefarious motives, because if I were, there are plenty of opportunities for me to do so. I'm not ascribing nefarious motives to our elected leaders, because they're Democrats. And you shouldn't describe them either, just because they happen to be Republicans, right? State officials say that the stay-at-home restrictions for North Carolina are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. This is a piece in the News and Observer about Reopen NC, which is a Facebook group, full disclosure, I am in it, um, calls Cooper's executive orders unconstitutional and says curtailing citizens' civil liberties and damaging the economy is doing more harm than COVID-19 is inflicting. The group's Facebook page was started last Tuesday, so a week ago. It has grown to include more than 15,000 members by the weekend. Reopen NC's emergence comes as the state's Department of Health and Human Services reported more than 4,500 coronavirus cases with 81 deaths uh, out of North Carolina's 10.5 million residents. The number of hospitalizations due to the virus uh, decreased slightly to 331. Ashley Smith, listed as one of the Facebook group's page administrators, posted a two-minute video on her personal Facebook page Thursday urging North Carolina officials to relax social restrictions and allow businesses to reopen. She called the current orders Cooper has in place, quote, draconian communistic government move. Uh, she says the shutdown cannot continue. The science, the data does not support our state continuing to be out of work. Our economy cannot handle this. The group encourages its members to contact state officials as well as their local sheriffs to demand a return to normal operating procedures. It's time to stop asking nicely and start demanding our freedom, she says. Now, a predictive model, the News and Observer cites this Duke and uh, UNC uh, report from these scientists that was released uh, recently that said if the order is extended beyond April, then the state's number of cases would be about a quarter million. But if you remove that order at the end of April, it would go to like three quarters of a million. Social distancing and staying at home is our best weapon in the fight, Cooper said. I know many of you are wondering if this is uh, if this North Carolina model means that our stay-at-home order will continue into May. And my answer is we just don't know yet. Okay, and I and I give him the latitude on that. I give him the space on that. We just don't know yet. Okay. You might want to figure it out pretty quickly. I understand these are really bad choices all around, as I said earlier. Bad choices. Bad options all around. Because here is a report from the National Bureau of Economic Research. They did a survey of uh, business, small business owners. And a couple of things they found. Number one, mass layoffs and closures have already occurred. 
43% of the businesses that they surveyed are temporarily closed, and businesses have, on average, reduced their employee counts by 40%. Second, Consistent with previous literature, we find that many small businesses are financially fragile. For example, the median business has more than $10,000 in monthly expenses um, and less than one month of cash on hand. So we're already past a month now for these small businesses in North Carolina that were forced to close. They're out of money. They're gone. They're dead. You've destroyed small businesses, which are the backbone of the American economy. We're destroying the the key component, the vital part of our economy. And with it, in its wake, the wreckage of all of those lives, the people that set up these small businesses, that poured everything uh, into these small businesses, and now they're destroyed. And by the way, I'm not blaming, like Governor Cooper, I'm not blaming uh, government officials for this. At this point, this is the... This is the virus. And to that extent, I blame China, as we all should. Third, they found business uh, businesses have widely varying beliefs about the duration of these disruptions. Basically, uh, the more money you have on hand, uh, the, <laughs> the longer you think it'll go, I think. Fourth, the majority of businesses planned to seek funding through the, uh, the federal legislation, the CARES Act. However, many anticipate problems with accessing the aid, such as bureaucratic hassles and difficulties establishing eligibility. National Bureau of Economic Research says, while businesses' beliefs about the duration of the crisis vary widely, the median business owner expects the dislocation to last well into midsummer. More than 70% of respondents anticipate taking advantage of aid when asked about a program uh, that resembles the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. They expect the funding to influence other business decisions, including layoff decisions and staying in business altogether. What does that mean? It means if we don't get the money, we're either laying everybody off and or we're going out of business. This is it. This, the, 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 Relief money from the federal government is the only thing standing in the way of these businesses uh, staying open at this point. That's it. This is it's it's all on the line for this federal program. Show of hands, who's confident that the federal program is going to work? Well, I mean, it's a federal bureaucratic program. What could go wrong, right? Current and expected impacts. Three themes emerged when they were asked about this. Disruptions have already been extreme. Forty-three percent of businesses have already closed. Uh, at least temporarily, and nearly all of these closures are due to the uh, COVID outbreak. This response seems far more extreme than the economic effects of the 1918 influenza epidemic, because you can't call it the Spanish flu anymore. Respondents that have closed temporarily largely point to reductions in demand as well as employee health concerns. Disruptions in the supply chain have been less of of a concern so far. Impacts, they say, also vary across industries with retail, arts and entertainment, personal services, food services, and hospitality, uh, all reporting employment declines exceeding 50%. Finance, professional services, and real estate-related businesses have seen less disruption. Although Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team in Asheville, they do recognize that there have been disruptions. And one of the biggest uh, disruptions is obviously when you're trying to sell a home, how do you get people to walk through your home? Do you even want strangers walking through your home? 
spreading the COVID all over the place, right? Oh, look at this. Oh, what a nice uh, uh, paint job on these walls. And they just like run their hands over the walls and touching all the doorknobs, turning on the faucets, checking the water pressure, that kind of thing. Uh, You don't want that at your house, right? Because you're still living there. You don't want that. (laughs) So uh, what's what's the workaround? Video tours. Rowena's been doing them since 2007 on every listing. Just like the real thing, it means buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. By the way, moving is considered to be an essential service. So if you are thinking about buying or selling, call the only agent that I would call. In these times, and even pre-COVID, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. The phone number is 333-4483. That's 333-4483. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Their website is mountainhomehunt.com. And uh, start packing. The National Bureau of Economic Research also finds businesses are financially fragile. The median firm with expenses over $10,000 a month has enough cash to last two weeks. That's it. If you got expenses over ten grand a month, you've got cash generally. This is the median business, so not all businesses. Some have more, some have less. But if you take all of the businesses, line them up from you know lowest to highest of, in regards to cash on or uh, sorry expenses, you know the the business that has you know $100 a month in expenses and the business that has a million dollars a month in expenses and you line them all up and then you count towards the middle from each direction from the lowest from the highest and you get to that midpoint that's the median and that is 2 weeks those businesses the median business uh, with expenses over 10 grand have 2 weeks of cash on hand 3 quarters say they only have enough cash on hand to cover two months of expenses or less. They go on to say there will be robust demand for federally subsidized aid or business loans. 70% of the respondents expressed interest in that program, but they uh, anticipate massive problems accessing the aid. Uh, Finally, survival rate differences across industries and how this depends on the duration of the crisis. In-person industries like personal services or retail report much lower prospects for riding out the pandemic than professional services or other sectors with minimal need for face-to-face contact. I was talking with my financial advisor the other day about this stuff, and uh, they're, they're, they're all going to video conferencing. And it's just different. It's not the same as being able to talk with somebody in person. There's a lot that you lose even in a video chat se- uh, um, a session, you know. Um, you know, the vibe that people give off, people are uncomfortable on screen, and, and all of that stuff, it just translates a little differently. Um, there was a piece by David Wallace Wells at New York Magazine. This guy is an anti-Trumper. He hates Donald Trump. Uh, but he wrote this uh, very lengthy piece called There is No Plan for the End of the Coronavirus Crisis. There's no clarity, he says, to be found from the federal or state or local level for how long these measures are going to last. There's no public or concrete plan uh, and little visible discussion about what it would mean to sunset these restrictions. How and at what point and in what ways will we try to exit this temporary but indefinite wartime-like national bunkering almost all 330 million of us now find ourselves in. What exactly is the end game here? Some of this ambiguity is inevitable and may be hard to remember, 
uh, given the way the coronavirus has distended our sense of time, but this crisis is just a few months old, and the scientific and public health wisdom is just as preliminary. But while it may not be possible to pinpoint a date or a month, at which point we can expect a transition out of our bunker living, no one seems to have any sense of how we're going to arrive at that determination, how much we're going to, uh, we will have wanted to contain the outbreak, at what levels, uh, before moving forward, and what steps moving forward would then entail, right? Because think about this, when, when John Hood even mentions the idea that, hey, we can't shelter in place long term, this is not sustainable, right? What happens? Again, I had this happen to me too. You get attacked as wanting people to die. How dare you question the precious Democrat governor, right? How dare you? This is the reaction that we get from most of the left. And maybe this changes, okay? Maybe uh, after April comes to a close and um, and then Democratic leaders are now standing up saying, okay, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and this is how we're going to uh, adapt and overcome. And then maybe some of these uh, accusations and smears and attacks, maybe some of this stuff goes away. And I hope that's the case. But right now, and in the last two weeks, like you couldn't even raise these questions. You can't even say this stuff without being pilloried for it. There, that there is no coherent federal plan to deal with the outbreak as it currently stands is horrifying enough, he says. An absolute evacuation of presidential leadership that has already cost thousands of lives and will likely cost tens of thousands more. Again, I mentioned he's a rabid anti-Trumper. But the fact that there is no, also no planning to speak of for how we might leave behind the present crisis means all we can see looking forward from the darkness is more darkness. Yeah. So, so what do we consider to be containment? What's acceptable? Because it's not going to be completely contained, right? There's no way to contain it. There's no vaccine. So we're waiting on a cure, waiting on a vaccine, and I don't even know if a vaccine's even possible because it's a coronavirus. Right. And, and as such, it, it like, do we have right? do we have cures for other types of these coronaviruses? No, but we maybe we find treatments. And so we don't lose as many people to the complications that arise from this infection. And so it becomes just a treatment thing that once people get infected, you treat them as quickly as possible. Uh, and over time, enough people get it. And then they have immunity, although now there's some question I saw today. There's some debate about whether or not uh, once you get it, you are actually immune going forward. Can you actually get it again at some later point? There is some question about that. So if we're going to be if we're going to discuss what the new normal is, the new normal has to account for a certain number of infections in perpetuity, right? And that doesn't mean I'm advocating people to die. Like I, but there has to be an acceptance that there's going to be an infection number that is persistent in society for a very, very long time. And that people are going to be treated just like the flu, for example. Right? We accept as part of our society and, and, our, uh, and science and health, right, that people die of influenza. So is that what this becomes? What does that then look like? As the society moves forward, do we have to constantly be um, decontaminating everything all the time? Much stricter, uh, you know, hygiene and and uh, cleanliness rules. Last week, 
Helen Branswell of Stat News reported that public health experts in the U.S. are increasingly worried that the public is underestimating how long the coronavirus disruptions are going to last, with many Americans assuming a sort of national reopening to begin in early May, and most public health experts expect at least a month beyond that, possibly even more. Lockdowns of this kind are now in place uh, in much of the country, and they're designed to contain an outbreak before it gets out of control. Test and trace methods of pandemic containment is the ideal. But in the U.S. and throughout Europe, uh, the pandemic progressed much too far for that approach to work. And so the current lockdowns could provide another opportunity as well, buying the country time in order to ramp up a comprehensive testing regimen. The Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Romer has suggested that while imperfect, an aggressive testing regime without tracing, would also be effective at the population level, allowing a country like America to emerge from the shutdown without imposing quite as aggressive a medical surveillance state, he said. So the whole point here, right, of flattening the curve, and I've been saying this again for the last month, which is the whole point of flattening the curve is to space out the impact, to to lessen the, the cumulative impact on the health system, but also to bias time. You flatten the curve. It gives us time, right, to try to come up with a vaccine. But also, there's got to be something else, such as testing, to find out who's got it. Now, what what do you do with that information? That's a whole different debate as well, because there are some people like, whoa, once you get tested, if you test negative, we can give you this little card, and then you can participate fully in society. And if you don't test uh, if you test that you're positive with the coronavirus, then you don't get to participate in society. I'm like, I don't really like that option either. That sounds kind of Nazi-ish, you know? There was a piece of good news, though. The U.S. FDA has approved an emergency use authorization for a decontamination process uh, provided by a company called Advanced Sterilization Products that could be uh, used to decontaminate 4 million N95 respirators per day. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Sterilize them then for reuse, which is a significant potential dent in the ongoing shortage of supplies faced by medical professionals and frontline workers at healthcare facilities. The decontamination process would open up reuse of these masks that were originally designed for just a single use. So uh, some good news in the COVID front. If you like the show and the content that we are doing here, uh, I ask that you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can get on over to thepetecalendarshow.com. All of the links are there. Thank you very much for all of your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>